The following message is by a guest speaker of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Morning, everyone. Um, I wanted to introduce our guest speaker for this morning. Uh, I think probably most of you in this room are familiar with him. It's a Pastor Jared Ahrens, and he is on staff with our sister church, Harvest Community Church, out there in the Schaumburg-Hoffman Estates area. And so uh, he's going to give us the word this morning. Um, Jared and his wife, Yvonne, have three children. And uh, I think uh, he has spoken here before, although it's been a little while, so some of you are newer to ICC may not have heard him uh, preach before. But I feel a very kindred spirit with him, um, although we had been kind of um, seeing each other regularly in meetings and things like that. It was, I think, a, a trip that we had taken out there to uh, Flagstaff, Arizona, where we were helping to plant our sister, another sister church out there, uh, one tribe church out there that we spent a lot of time together and felt a real sense of kindred spirit with him that many of the things that have been shaping his uh, understanding of God and Christian life centered on a very contemplative life and um, these ideas of solitude and silence before God were things that were resonating with him and were very resonant in my heart. And so I feel a very strong sense of kindred spirit with Jared and I've always been blessed whenever I've sat under his teaching. And so why don't we welcome him warmly as he comes to share God's word with us. Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Happy New Year. Any Chicago Bear fans in the room? few. I want to congratulate you on your NFC North championship. I am a diehard Green Bay Packer fan, so it's not easy for me to say this, but I mean, you guys have a lot of reason to be excited about your team. A championship caliber defense, an innovative coach, and I think the NFC is pretty weak this year, so... My stomach is not feeling great now as I say all this, so... Why don't we open up to Luke chapter 1. I want to read uh, a longer passage than what we'll be looking at this morning. Uh, But Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. And it will be on the screen for you too. So this is when the angel Gabriel visits Mary. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, 
And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. You know, I'm usually super excited for the start of a new year, and I'm the type of guy who sets resolutions, has goals. Uh, But this year, I've been kind of sluggish getting going with the new year. And I think part of the reason why is I really love the holiday season, the the Christmas season. I think it was hard for me to kind of say goodbye uh, to that. And there's so much that I love about the Christmas season. I love the decorations and the lights, the traditions, the Advent activities, uh, Christmas music. Uh, And one thing that's become kind of a staple for me throughout the Christmas season, and don't judge me, this is not spiritual or holy whatsoever, is Christmas cookies. Christmas cookies. I think Christmas cookies are one of my love languages. And I think my wife, Yvonne, finally discovered that. And so in December, it felt like every day I came home from work and she was baking more Christmas cookies. It felt like a nonstop Advent activity in our home. There were so many cookies everywhere. Uh, Soon after Thanksgiving, Yvonne set up a card table in our kitchen, and it was filled with baking supplies and utensils. It kind of became the Christmas cookie command station. And Yvonne didn't say anything uh, to me about the table, but I knew I was not supposed to touch this table. It was holy ground, and I was not worthy. And um, I'm the type of guy, when there's a lot of uh, food item in our house, like I feel the right to kind of decrease the supply. So I'm constantly just eating Christmas cookies because there's so many of them. There was an incident a few weeks ago, and Yvonne had baked probably like four dozen of a certain type of cookie, And, I mean, they're just piled up. So I felt like it was my duty to kind of take a few. And uh, about a half an hour later, she asked me, like, did you eat any of the cookies? And she didn't do it in a mean way. It was very nicely. And I said, I had a few. You know, few is a very nebulous term. It's not declaring how many I had. But I've learned now that she keeps inventory of how many cookies that she makes. So Christmas cookies. Now, Imagine with me, I'm I'm stretching this illustration a little bit, so use your imagination. I have some Christmas cookies here with me, and I hide them all around this building. And and they're well hidden that they're out of sight, that no one can find them. So what will happen over time to these cookies? It's not a trick question. They will grow stale. Out of sight leads to staleness. When something is left unattended to or forgotten about, over time, it becomes stale. And when it comes to life and our relationship with Christ, we can get so caught up in the hustle and bustle, the daily grind, that Jesus gets pushed aside, out of the way. He becomes a Sunday-only thing, And even then, we're not sure if we're seeing him rightly. When we don't see Jesus, when he is out of sight, he can become stale to us. Now hear me correctly. 
I'm not saying Jesus is stale. I'm saying our experience of Jesus can become stale when we don't encounter him. And for some of us, maybe it's been a long time since we have truly seen would break in to any places of spiritual staleness in us and would bring us in to a fresh encounter to be able to really see Jesus and to know him for who he truly is. So I just want to pray for us uh, before we move into Luke 1. Father, you know the heart of every person in this room. God, you see us and you know us. You know the condition of our souls and where we're at with you right now. And Father, I would ask that you would show us the glory of your son, Jesus. Give us a fresh vision of Christ this morning. Break into any places where staleness has grown, where we have forgotten about you, where we have dismissed you, where you have been pushed aside. We pray, God, that you would break in. And God, I put my full confidence in you right now and in your word and in the work of your Holy Spirit to lead and to speak to us this morning. So it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So I want to zoom in on verses 26 through 33 in this passage in Luke 1. So let me read again, starting from verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words, and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The angel Gabriel sent by God to deliver this great news to Mary about what is to come. And as I was thinking and reflecting about Gabriel, uh, my mind went to some places of curiosity and wonder. And I think it's important for us as we read the Word of God that we're okay with asking questions and being curious and imagining things. And one of the questions I asked is, how did God choose Gabriel of all the angels? He's been selected for one of the most important assignments in human history, to tell Mary about the news of the child that she will carry. Were there auditions? Like angels got talent? Was there some sort of school for angels and Gabriel was first in the class? Another question I had is, what was the process of communication between God and Gabriel? 
Was there a script that Gabriel had to memorize and practice? And if so, I can only imagine God in this moment being with Gabriel and saying to him, stick to the script, Gabriel. This is too important. No ad-libbing right now. Maybe I'm the only one that has these curious questions, but I think one day, hopefully we'll find out the answers to questions like this. So after offering a greeting and then calming Mary down, who's probably in shock, Gabriel gets right to the point. There's no thorough explanation or background information. He simply said, I like direct to the point communication, but this is mind-blowing news that Gabriel is putting on Mary. This young virgin girl will conceive and give birth to a baby boy. This is a lot for Mary to take in. We'll come back to Mary in a, a little bit later, but I really want to center in now on what Gabriel speaks about Jesus. One of the things that stood out to me in this passage is these are the very first words that are spoken about Jesus in the New Testament era. I had never thought about that before. And first words and first impressions really matter. I've learned that in my relationships, what I encounter in that first moment with a person kind of sticks with you for a long time. And these first words about Jesus are full of significance and weight to them. Verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. In these words about Jesus, there's this beautiful intersection of the ordinary and the extraordinary, the intersection of earthly things and heavenly things, the earthly things, carrying a child in your womb, giving birth to a son, giving him a human name. These are the very normal, natural human elements in this encounter. And then there's the heavenly things, the supernatural things, you will conceive while being a virgin. Your son will be great, and he will be called the son of the Most High. Those are the unexplainable, heavenly, supernatural elements in this encounter. It's a reminder to us that the Christian life, our relationship with God, is about living in the intersection of these two worlds of the earthly, human, daily, ordinary elements and the invisible, eternal, and supernatural elements of life. Verse 32, he will be great and will be called the son of the Most High. Mary, this son to be born to you is no ordinary child. He will be great. No because, no list of reasons why he will be great. Just a declarative statement about the greatness of Jesus Christ. Jesus will be great. And he will be called the son 
of the Most High. This phrase is indicating the absolute uniqueness and highness of his divine sonship. Jesus will surpass and be exalted over all. Jesus is great. Jesus is most high. It's so easy for us to kind of nod our heads in agreement as we hear these words. To let these words just casually pass through our minds and our hearts. But I really believe we need to stop and pay attention here. We need to slow down and really soak in these truths about Jesus. Jesus is great. Jesus is the most high. I find these words from A.W. Tozer to be incredibly helpful. God is bigger than anything God can say. Let me repeat that. God is bigger than anything God can say because words are inadequate to express God and what he can do. Any promise that God ever made, God has to overfill it. The reason being is that God is so great, his heart so kind, his desire so intense that language cannot express it. Neither Greek nor English nor any other language can adequately express God and his promises. Language cannot express the magnitude of the greatness of Jesus Christ. Words have a limit when trying to describe, trying to qualify who Jesus really is. Great and most high are no doubt helpful, but they just scratch the surface of the unbelievable supreme status of Jesus and his worthiness. 93 million miles away, a star, a ball of gas exists with a mass of 330,000 times bigger than Earth. That, that is just ridiculously big. It currently fuses about 600 million tons of hydrogen into helium every second, creating enormous amounts of energy. I have no idea what that means, but it sounds really cool. <laughs> These are numbers that our mind can't comprehend. And I can keep rattling off stats and figures, but to say the sun is a powerful energy source doesn't do justice to reality. But beyond the facts and the figures is our personal experience. When the sun is unblocked by the clouds, it is a force to behold. You can feel the warmth of the sun on your face, even though it's 93 million miles away. You cannot look directly at it for too long because of its greatness and its power. Without clouds and without hindrance, you can't see the sun as anything other than great and powerful, right? 
to really see Jesus. To truly see Jesus, you can only see and experience him as great and most high. There is no other way to see him and to know him. He can't be known and experienced as anything less than what he is. And his greatness doesn't ebb and flow. His greatness does not waver based on the events of this world. And this is important. His greatness doesn't change based on how you feel about him. According to the word of God, his greatness is not up for debate. Jesus is great. He can only be seen and known as great. And the wonderful and really most amazing thing is that God, God wants us to know the greatness of his son, Jesus. Not just in data, not just in words, but in a personal way. And this is what the Christmas story is all about. God came near by sending his son to be born and enter the human story. God is reaching out to us personally and wants us to know his son in an intimate and real way. Eugene Peterson writes, God does not reveal himself impersonally. God God does not give himself to us as a thing or an idea or a project, but personally with all the intimacies that are involved in being personal. You know, I look back on my own life, and I'm so thankful for the ways that I've gotten to know Christ personally. I'm not done yet, for sure. And there's so much more that I need to see and to know about Jesus This message has really helped me out to remember that I can only see and know Jesus as great. There's no other way. And when you really see him, you realize he is worth everything. He is worth everything. To those of you who might be here and you might be new to all this stuff about Jesus, or as I'm talking about Jesus, this just seems puzzling to you. I just want you to know that that's okay. I'm just really glad that you're here this morning. I believe God has you here for a reason. And I can't emphasize this enough. Jesus is worth exploring. He really is. Jesus is worth getting to know. I can't think of a better kind of New Year's resolution for 2019 is to get to know Jesus more. And whether you're new to this or you've been a long-time follower of Christ, I think each of us can pray a simple prayer of invitation. Something like this. Jesus, show me who you are personally. I really want to see and encounter you. Jesus, I want to be open to recognizing who you are. So I want to surrender. I want to invite you to show me 
more and more of yourself. And I believe this is an authentic and real prayer that God would be delighted to hear from us. And not just to to pray one time, but to pray often and to see what God does over time to show you who Jesus really is. For those of you who would say you're a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you to ask yourself a few questions to dig into this a little bit more. When was the last time you really saw Jesus as being who he truly is? Great. When was the last time you encountered Christ in a real way? And another question, and this is a little bit more maybe hard to ask. When and why has Jesus stopped being great to you? Did something happen to cause you to question his greatness? You know, pain can be the real cloud that blocks us from seeing Jesus rightly. And we have to acknowledge that and ask God to help us with that because we are missing out when we don't see Jesus rightly. My prayer for myself and for you is that this year we would truly see Jesus for who he is. And we would see him as great and see him as the most high. I want to move me. And he says, The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. For Mary, I imagine hearing the names David and Jacob from Gabriel were helpful and even comforting. In the midst of this shocking news, those two names probably connected some of the dots for her. She would be familiar with the stories of David and Jacob in Israel's history. And she was probably aware of the promise given to David, the great king of Israel. In 2 Samuel 7, God gave this promise to David. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. It was from David's line that the promised Messiah was expected to come from. The people of Israel were waiting for the coming king. And now Mary is hearing this news from from Gabriel And she's being told that her son, Jesus, would fulfill the hopes and the promises of her people. This child would be the king who will reign forever. And his kingdom will never end. As Mary watches Jesus' life unfold on earth, I'm, I'm sure she still had questions about all this. And even at times, maybe doubts. You know, a mother sees and knows their child usually better than anybody else. I imagine for Mary, as she's watching Jesus grow up, she might have been scratching her head at times, thinking, man, what kind of king is my son? She probably went back to this moment with Gabriel 
and wondered, did I hear right? He said my son would be a king and have a kingdom. As Mary was carrying Jesus in her womb, I'm sure she had doubts about herself, maybe even pre-mommy guilt. Who am I to be carrying this expected king? Look at me. I'm nobody special. What kind of king can this really be? She gives birth to Jesus, not in a palace or even in a decent home, but in a place where there's no crib for her newborn son. She needs to put Jesus in an animal's feeding trough to sleep. What kind of king is this? As Jesus grows up, he takes on his father's trade as a carpenter. I'm sure there were days when Jesus came home from work and he was dirty and smelly and exhausted. And Mary's making her son dinner and she's looking at him, a carpenter, a carpenter. What kind of king is this? Jesus eventually leaves home around age 30. He hits the road begins to teach, and crowds begin to follow. And Mary begins to think, surely this is it, the beginning of my son being a king and having a kingdom. But a few years later, her son would be arrested, stand trial, be brutally beaten. And then Mary experiences any parent's worst nightmare. She would watch her son, her firstborn son, hanging on a Roman cross, watch their child suffer, let alone be tortured and executed. And in this moment, when Mary thinks Jesus is breathing his last breath, I'm sure she was filled with agony and anger and in her spirit crying out, what kind of king is this? A king without a palace? A king without an army? A king who didn't wield the sword? A king born in the lowliest of places and a king who died in the most humiliating way. What kind of king is this? Jesus. Jesus is the king who would build his reign and his rule through sacrificial love. Through sacrificial love. Oh yes, he had power. He had power to heal the sick He had power to make the lame walk. He had power to conquer the grave and to rise again. But the hallmark of his kingdom would be selfless, sacrificial love. The God who reigns is the God who gives out of love. He gave his son out of love. And his son established his kingdom through generous 
costly for the sake of us kind of love. His sovereign rule would not be built through the powers of men, but his reign would be established through a kingdom centered on love and peace and hope. And he would prove and he would seal his kingship through victory over death and the grave. Jesus, there is no greater name. Jesus, there is no greater king. The kingdom of God, there is no greater kingdom. And you and I, you and I were made to know this king. We were created to experience the reign of Jesus in our lives. And one of the real visible demonstrations of Jesus' kingship is when a person, a single human being, encounters and sees the greatness of Jesus in a very personal way. And Jesus takes over their heart. And he takes over their life. And I believe this is the hope and the prayer of your church leaders, that you would know and personally experience Jesus for yourself. And you would invite Jesus' loving rule over your life. Not just for one day, or one moment, or one Sunday, but every day, again and again, asking Jesus to be the king over your life. Whether you're young or old, single or married, rich or poor, you were created to know and experience Jesus as your king and your leader. And there's no better life out there than living under his loving kingship. And our response to Jesus' greatness and his reign is to open our hearts in our lives to him. To surrender everything to him and to worship him above anything else. And I truly believe that this world is aching. This world, remember, even in this broken and fallen world, Jesus still reigns. He still sits on the throne and his kingdom will not fail. His kingdom will endure forever. 2019. This year might bring lots of blessings in your life. You might experience success in your career. You might have wonderful moments with family and friends. You might stick to that diet and exercise plan. You might get to travel to some new places and get some new experiences. Enjoy all those things. Those are truly gifts. But please remember that the greatest gift is to see. To really see and to know Christ and to experience his loving rule in your life. And many of us here have already found this to be true. And we have so much to be grateful for. So this new year, may you see, maybe for the first time, or see again 
in fresh ways that Jesus is great. He is the Most High. There is no one like him. And there's no one who's worthy like him. And that Jesus reigns forever. He is a good king. And his kingdom is built on love. Generous and powerful, sacrificial love. So to Jesus, the greatest king, be honor and glory and power forever. Let's pray. God, even in prayer, words seem so inadequate to truly thank you and truly acknowledge and worship you because you truly are great. You truly are the most high. There is no one like you. God, thank you for sending your son into our broken and fallen world. Thank you out of love for sacrificing your son for us. And Jesus, wherever we are at right now, and you know exactly where we're at, we want to pray this prayer of invitation. Jesus, show us who you are. We really want to see you. We really want to encounter you. I just want to give you a moment in your own words to pray that prayer of invitation. Just inviting Jesus to show himself to you. And tell him that you really want to see him, that you really want to encounter him. So take a moment and pray in your own words to him.